hope you're all keeping warm and keeping safe on this very chilly winter's day. The start of the hunkering down. Perfect time to watch movies, right, Carl? Absolutely. Unless, of course, you want to watch one of the movies that I don't care for, which we're going to talk about in a minute. We'll talk to our guests, Alex McPherson and Jim Tudor, coming up next, and we'll do some tributes to some who have recently passed. Around minute 15, we'll do our most disappointed films of the year. Around minute 26, we'll do honorable mentions. Around minute 37, Jim will give us his top 10 for the year. Around minute 55, Alex will give his top 10 of the year. Around one hour and 17 minutes, I will give my top 10 of the year. Around one hour and 27 minutes, Lynn will give her top 10 of the year. And right at one hour and 54 minutes, we will look forward to 2022. Before you got here, Lynn, I was expressing uh, my displeasure of one of my least favorite films of the year to the president of our club and the person who writes for your website who both have it in their top 10 of the year so i know i know it's very divisive and in fact i'm writing a piece about it on how divisive it is uh, no about how why i changed my mind on it you're welcome so let's introduce our guest we have the president of the St. Louis Film Critics Association, Jim Tudor. Hi, Jim. Hello, Carl. And, and we have the hello and the we have Alex McPherson, who writes for Pop Life STL. Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> yes, happy to see you both here this morning. Well, this was going to be an extra special show today because we're going to be talking about our top tens, which is always a big deal. And this year was particularly rough because. I saw like I saw like 170 movies. Oh, and at the end of the year, I'm trying to get them so uh, watched so fast. They all seem to kind of just be pushed to the end of the year that I I've missed some. So I've gone back once we could breathe again, and uh, my ballots were done for all my groups and watched stuff that I missed. So and, I'm and trying I watched, to do that. You watched more than twice the, as many as I did. I watched 85. And I, I remember Max and I were talking the other day about how we used to like be impressed with ourselves when we saw 53, which was like more than a movie a week. But now there is just so much content and there are so many distributors now that, that you'd think there would be more and there is. Alex and Jim, did you, have you, thanks to our buddy, Andrew Wyatt, who puts out a list of every single film that is out in the calendar year. That's how in I St. Louis. Yeah, in, in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. That's how I find out how many movies I've watched. And then even then I have to go back to Wikipedia and say, oh wait, I did see Midnight in the Switchgrass and it was horrible. <laughs> That's right. And Jim, do, you, do you know how many you saw? Uh, I'm working on that. Uh, Give me just a second. He, he's doing a line count. He's doing a yeah. line count of all of his movies. Alex, do yeah. you know? No, I don't. I don't have an exact count, but it was definitely the most I've ever watched, like in a single year, ever, <laughs> by far. <laughs> so yeah, I I watched eighty five films, and then Lynn and our buddy Dan Buffa, they're like, oh yeah, we've watched more than one hundred and fifty films. I'm like, you guys 
And then, but Lynn, that's not, you also did theater all year and you watched several series of television shows. You watched Smigadoon, you watched the Marvel, you watched a lot of content this year. Yeah, well, I also do not have children at home and I also work at home and therefore it's easier for you. It is easier for me. It's still, it's still, I still, all these people talk about all these TV shows that I don't watch. Uh I don't have time for. And usually winter is when I'll catch up, but like Ozark season four is going to start and everybody talks about it all the time. And I haven't even begun season one yet. So it's like, oh, I got four seasons to catch up on. And when we are, uh, Succession is one of my favorites. And, you know, I started talking about it the summer it was on, about how brilliant it was. So the third season is now upon us. But I took a break in the fall because it started October 17th. I took a break because of all the movies we had to watch. And then you watched you watched Mayor too. Oh yeah, Mayor of Easttown. Oh, so good. Well then, okay, so the day after the finale of Succession aired, and I'm only on episode three, and this is episode ten. Oh, in the headline, they revealed Uh. this whole big plot spoiler in the headline. Well then why would you go on the internet if you know, especially the day after a major development like that well i get all these that's on of, you that's on yeah, you no no it's it's a note it was my yes, email if you, if you know if you go if you know like if when the book of boba fett comes out i stay off the internet until i can see it or when especially shows with cliffhangers the the marvel shows if you miss it, when it comes out live, you need to stay off for the next six hours because everybody's like, oh my gosh, did you just see? And that's I, that's how I got spoiled and found out that What If is actually going to be part of the multiverse, which I would not have liked. And But it was actually deadened for me when I saw a headline. Here's what Marvel's doing wrong. I'm like, oh no, I can guess what it is. And it, it was right. And so here's yeah. a tip, Lynn. If you if you don't watch something that you don't want to be spoiled on, stay away. But if you get the variety alerts and the headline comes in your email, oh, variety you is the worst. It, you get, they are. They <laughs> spoil knows. everything. They spoil everything. Maybe and so don't they, they have this their big email list anymore. Point, and I was like, you got to be kidding me. All right. So okay. let's yes. not talk about television anymore. Let's talk about our favorite and least favorite. Films well, before we do that, well, before we do that, I do have to give uh, a shout out to Sydney Poitier, who uh, just the news just was released before we started filming that he died at age 94. And he was one of the first actors in my childhood that I saw that I knew was great. I knew that this guy had it. And uh, my mom let me stay up for the Academy Awards when I was seven or eight. And uh, I remember winning, first black man ever win for Lilies of the Field. And then when I was a teenager, uh, To Serve With Love, when I was up in junior high, To Serve With Love was huge. And we all went to see it because he was this great teacher over in England that the kids loved. And then in Belleville, he was there staying because he filmed in the heat of the night in Sparta, Illinois. 
and everybody went crazy. But just what a class act he has been over the years and that voice, just to hear that voice. If there's one movie that I want to draw people's attention to now that there's going to be all these tributes to him is watch The Defiant Ones with Tony Curtis. Find it, watch it. Brilliant. No matter what he did, he always had gravitas. That's how I would describe Sidney Poitier because he was always commanding and he always gave a full performance. And you could he could say things with just one word and you knew everything about his character. And as um, a director, he wasn't bad either. Um, no. He directed that film Sneakers with Robert Redford back in the 90s. Yeah. That's and, right. You know, I love like, that movie. We, you know, we forget oh. about that aspect of, of what he did, but you know, that was a, a, a really, uh, you know, fun, no compromising, uh, uh, kind of action. It was an actioner, but with a political, you know, uncompromised political bent. Um, I, I think he was a, a mentor to Denzel Washington. If uh, memory serves, I'm sure right. they'll bring that out. I'm sure correct. Denzel will say something. Uh, and uh, he, he was a great mentor to young black talent. Excellent. Well, yeah. all right. And then Lynn always says that they die in threes, even though that that's not a thing. They, people, people just want to group the things together. But Peter Bogdanovich and you could say Betty White in the last week since we've spoken. Right. Well, Peter Bogdanovich directed... What's Up Doc, Paper Moon, and The Last Picture Show, three of my all-time favorite movies. And uh, when I was a senior in high school, I saw The Last Picture Show, and it was in black and white, which people did not do anymore. And he had such reverence for uh, the golden years of Hollywood and who came before. And he was a great film historian. And actually a film critic before he started directing. So he was responsible for a lot of revivals. Then he kind of went Hollywood and got kind of with Sybil well, Shepherd and he all was, that. He was dating Sybil Shepherd, and then he appeared on Moonlighting. That was one of his first uh, or his first acting since he was a kid. Like he had acted as younger and then he became the director and then he came on Moonlighting just as a lark because it was Sybil Shepherd. And then uh he worked with david chase on that's yeah and that's how he that's how he got to do the sopranos where he played uh dr melfi's shrink that's right he was a pretty good actor too yeah yeah i mean so for, for those of us who are you know historians or write about you know love to go back and you know get into hit the books so to speak uh his tomes and i mean tomes these are thick, oh, yeah. he, thick uh, books thick books yeah who the devil made it um uh, where he interviews all these golden age directors uh it's indispensable who the devil made it and then there's another one a, a follow-up book he did called who the hell's in it uh which is <laughs> golden age actors and uh you know that one is very good as well and of course that's uh you know not even mentioning his his books on the individual directors who he worked with um, John Ford. I mean, I shouldn't say who he worked with, who he profiled and was obsessed with. Um, yeah. John Ford was huge with him. And then Orson Welles. Well, Wells, they had a, 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 <laughs> a love hate. 
Yes, yes. Uh, you know, so Bogdanovich is somebody that when you go and spin one of these, uh, you know, Blu-ray or DVD extra on one of these classic films by these filmmakers, Howard Hawks also, um, inevitably, there's Peter Bogdanovich's talking head uh, name dropping. Uh, you know, he's got his, but it's his one thing to name drop. Bandana. It's one thing to know them and to yeah. tell anecdotes. Well, it's why he's there. And man, uh, he'll be with us forever. If only uh, through those interviews and extra features and things uh, that, that are, you know, going to become part of the, the research canon going forward. Yeah. The last picture show was just on TCM. I watched the last part of that. Well, he, he did work for TCM too. He, he helped curate some of their programs. Well, Jeff Bridges in his first big movie, first Oscar nomination and Cloris Leachman and also, also introduced me to Ben Johnson and Alan Burstyn just so good that larry mcmurtry book so anyway yeah. uh we have uh we're going to be seeing a lot more of our uh what do you call them Movies? uh sig well In no memoriams? significant oh. significant people right. i just mentioned carl i think last week's podcast i mentioned that betty white was going to be 100 on january 7th 17. Yeah, she was on people magazine look who's turning 100 you and you know who would love that betty white Ah, jokes. Betty, that would be a joke that Betty White played on somebody else. Well, I know. I'll get uh, them. I'll die. That'll well, they're having on. a Betty White challenge on January 17th. You were supposed to donate to an animal shelter, even if it's $5 in honor of her birthday. Even if it's $5? Or okay. a dollar. But, uh, yeah. I, I Whatever. Can... Get, donate something. Right. Good message. Okay. Okay, so right. Carl, how are we going to do this top 10? Uh, okay, we, here's, here's how I think we should do I think you should just throw them out there. Throw them out there. Are we going to do most disappointing as well? Because yeah. that will upset everyone here. So <laughs> No, no. Yeah, it is. And because I don't like to do worst film because worst film is not fair. These are the films that I am most disappointed in when I go see them because Sometimes you have an expectation for a film and they are disappointing to them. So um, I, I'll start. I will throw out. I, I have five most disappointed films and I have five movies that are just bad. And the five movies that are just bad are Space Jam, A New Legacy, Thunder Force on uh, Netflix. Uh, oh, Space Jam was on HBO Max, by the way. Uh, Midnight in the Switchgrass, which should not be seen by anyone. Bliss, which was Amazon Prime. Oh, yeah. And Licorice Pizza. And I will defend it how I don't like it because it is a rape movie. Uh, and then... Um, all right, go uh, ahead. You know, Alex, go ahead. Um, well, I mean, I, I guess I understand why it's somewhat controversial but i think people are misunderstanding the central dynamic at play throughout the movie i don't see it as like a traditional romance it's more that like they're the going to get married at the end of the movie spoiler alert i mean i don't i don't think that's going to happen i think it's like they have a really strong friendship that's helping them get through this really turbulent time in both of their lives and mm -hmm. it's it's 
like a short-lived connection, but it matters a lot to them in the moment. And that's what the movie is truly about. The, that kind of feeling that they share together, helping them navigate this time in their lives. If so she I, was a teacher and he was a student, this would be a whole different movie. Well, they're not. Well, they're, and... they're not, but she's 25 and he's 15. Okay. And if the roles were reversed, this would be a Lolita thing. Okay, so this very much bothers Carl. Um, it does. To, to, <laughs> and to quote, Max. And Max. To quote and my, you, Lynn. Okay. To quote my students, um, I agree with him, Alex. Um, that that uh, this, this is a, a fantastic uh, movie full of vignettes and certain slices of life woven together in uh, surprising and... Uh, sometimes delightful, sometimes hilarious ways. And uh, um, uh, five stars, uh, not to spoil anything, uh, but, but it, it's, my, uh, it's my number one. So uh, <laughs> mm. go jump on a lake and thank you. <laughs> Moving on. All right. Well, I'm going to say here are the five films that disappointed me the most this year. Uh, number five, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Number four, Amazon Prime's Coming to America. Number three, Dear Evan Hansen, the movie. Number two, The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. And number one, this movie it was great for the first 10 minutes. And then it disappointed me the next hour and 45 minutes after that, Annette. Huh, yeah. Mm. Because, and that starts off so strong. And if that, if that song gets nominated for an Oscar, Max and I were talking about that this week. That is a great way to start off the Oscars if that song is nominated, because that is the best part of the movie and it just goes down. Right. I was very much looking forward to that. And then anyone else what, like to go with their least favorite yeah. films of the year? Well, my list is pretty much exactly yours. The worst? I'm not worst. Most is. Well, I did not pick licorice pizza as the worst. I want to qualify that. But the Can't other four, the other cold. four, yes. And then you're most disappointed. I, but I didn't see Hitman's Bodyguard's Wife. And I believe they will make a third one, and it will be called the Hitman's Bodyguard's Wife's Child, because it's go. It could only get worse from here. Yeah, it's like most. I, I mean, I guess I was more, like, I guess selective in the movies that I watched and reviewed. So a lot, I didn't, like, I didn't hate a lot of movies I watched this year. Like, I, I didn't like House of Gucci at all. That one stands out to me, and especially, just because yeah. it's really dull to me. And, <laughs> and, and it, I have a totally yeah. different viewpoint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it greatly. I I had a fun... To me, it was like an episode of Dynasty meets Succession uh, with operatic tendencies and then also throw in the Shakespeare drama. And it was real. But I feel the same way about Power of the Dog and Belfast as you feel about uh, House of Gucci. Those mm -hmm. movies were supposed to grab me and they didn't. And they're, I, I, I understand they're beautifully shot and they're, they're great stories. But I did not get the connection that everybody else is getting with those two films. Yeah, I I feel similarly about Power of the Dog. Like I really, I think it's a beautifully made movie. The cinematography is great. I Absolutely, think Benedict Cumberbatch is great. Yeah, 
Uh, it's just, it didn't, it felt really predictable to me. And it's like everyone's saying that, like, they didn't, they couldn't understand what was going on the first time they watched it. I was like, I kind of knew where this was headed. Absolutely. They foreshadow from, like, the yeah. very first scene. But it was still good. But I just, I was also missing that emotional connection to it that I was hoping for. But. Jim, what do you have for us? Yeah, I like the disappointments angle. I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Um, respect the Aretha Franklin biopic. I can see that. The Suicide Squad by James mm, Gunn. Uh, interesting. I was disappointed. I'm Are not, you I, looking forward to Peacemaker on HBO Max, though? No. Okay. Um, Raya and the Last Dragon, uh, being a, a something of a Disney fan and uh, having sat through a whole hour-long spiel with the directors going on about how much effort they put into this film. Uh, nope. And then uh, House of Gucci. Yeah, big disappointment. Amazing trailer. Uh, did not go for that. And then uh, the probably my biggest disappointment, and this is just me wearing my geek hat, uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, I, I've always mm -hmm. gone to bat when people say all Marvel movies are the same, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I say, no, they're not. Uh, you know, and this one uh, it kind it's of... It's not the same, though. This came back to... to to bite me on that because it's like it it's it's too much of that origin story same thing it's black panther but with the martial arts and the chinese lore and uh a cgi really, villain at the, the end the, well this the murky cgi <laughs> yeah. villain showdown really tanked it for me because i wanted a martial arts movie i wanted like classic you know, Bruce Lee ripoff, which is what Shang-Chi originally is in the 70s comics, um, you know, but in the Marvel world, martial arts, Marvel movie. And yeah, the, all these actors really worked hard to learn all these martial arts, but it got buried. It got buried under all that CG and the tone of the movie. I don't know. Just I. Uh, yeah. And your villain is your most interesting character. Well, Tony Leung is. Yeah, in his first uh, uh, English film, and and man, he's great. And you know, there's there, I, I enjoyed the movie while I was watching it, but it was one of those things where it's just like, yeah, no. Yeah, I wish I wish all the action scenes were like the bus fight at the beginning. Then it would be amazing. Yeah, but that's, that's the only one like it, pretty much. That, that's the highlight, and it's like <laughs> yeah. that. That's in the first third. And Max, oh. our buddy Max Foisey, he put in his most disappointed, he put Eternals because he says there's nothing redeeming about it at all. I mm. would put that in probably my worst. It was a slog. I, I uh, enjoyed the bizarre unusualness of it. You know, I say Shang-Chi was too much of a of a piece with formula all the other formula oh, well eternals was not and no. uh you know as as messy as it was uh at least it's got that to its credit i was uh i was on board for the you know it's like okay well this is out there for all right chloe zell here's your shot of uh the scenery and nothing's happening it's yeah. very chloe zell uh, uh exactly it really is i wrote about how uh it it does fit in with her other films thematically uh, and even a bit aesthetically, of of course, it being a Marvel film, it's, you know, literally. She's not going to get asked back. I don't know. I, I would hope she does, but I doubt she will. But, uh, you know, somebody's anyway. I, I have a theory that I've said on this podcast and on the air. I trust the Marvel machine that 
upon rewatching and as we go further through phase four, Eternals will come off better in the long run. I think we should trust the process. And just as people hated Captain Marvel until they saw it again and realized what else was going on, that this will fare better in the future. Say, so Captain Marvel is more than just a fight in a warehouse? <laughs> or a 90s retrospective. <laughs> Alex, what do you have for us for most disappointed? Uh... I know you don't see a lot of movies that you think are going to be bad but you were probably surprised at some yeah i don't know i i liked last night in soho a lot but it was disappointing in edgar wright's filmography for me it was still a, a solid movie but it, it kind of falls apart at the end it does it doesn't have that rewatchability that a lot of his other films have well, i mean never nothing has surpassed the cornetto trilogy like no. since then it's kind of been going downhill slightly it's still i mean very well made i love the style of it but yeah just another thing where just the plot just goes completely bonkers and it's not that scary it's kind of predictable again and so that's how yeah i guess i was somewhat disappointed by that but still not a bad film but that first half is just brilliant. Yeah. Oh my is. God. That that scene, the scene in the nightclub, the first dance, so yeah. brilliant. Yeah, that's a and great scene. The way they set it up and the music. Apparently, the uh, new DVD Blu-ray, which is coming out real soon, is going to have deleted scenes, as they all do, and then a, a music video of uh, downtown and also a lot of behind the scenes but it's going to have this uh mirror scene they're going to go how they're going to talk oh. about how they did that and i think that would be very clever because the editing it won the st louis film critics editing as it should have been mm -hmm. but yeah it does fall should apart one best scene it's better than going backwards down <laughs> a hill with no gas but in in context the that driving scene it's like a moment of like real like suspense where you're really not sure what's going to happen and it breaks it kind of breaks what's been established earlier in the movie and that's why it's so effective for me licorice, licorice pizza yeah and licorice yes. pizza i'm talking yeah. about well pizza. one one of the things in licorice pizza that really irked me that nobody really seems to be talking about there's been a few i saw an article in slate talking about the the controversial age difference and also john uh david higgins or john michael higgins whoever he is oh the, the the offensive asian stereotype yes the offensive asian racist okay i know that was at a time because joshua ray said on our podcast that the whole movie is about how men were so awful back then in that period. And yeah. you can lump that, but it was very cringy watching that. I know. I mean, I don't think it's a perfect film and I don't think that that character was really necessary because there's a lot of other characters that kind of demonstrate the overarching theme of like misogyny and everything at like of the adult characters. But I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to, say i didn't like the movie just because it has that little flaw in it but right well that's why it it got left off i did not put it on my worst but it didn't make my cut 
Yeah. So, are we gonna start with our? Uh, uh, let's start. Let's start with our honorable mentions. Do you guys have honorable mentions that didn't make your tops? I have like thirty of them. I could <laughs> ramble well, off. I do. Well, go ahead. Uh, I, I here's what I, I just want to say that 2021 was a great year for musical documentaries like the Billie Eilish on Apple Plus, uh, Pink on Amazon, Sparks Brothers on Netflix, Rena Moreno on Netflix, Summer of Soul on Hulu. Those were fantastic. Uh, there was also the uh, Velvet Underground on Apple. It was a fantastic year for movie documentaries. And one of them did make my top 10. But I want to mention some uh, films that might have gotten overlooked, like Zola, or Amazon Prime's The Map of Tiny Perfect Things, uh, Moxie on Netflix, Bad Trip mm -hmm. on Netflix, and I know this film is huge, Red Notice on Netflix is it is just brain-dead fun, and I loved it. And my other honorable mention, I could not decide, Jim, and you'll appreciate this, which movie I liked better, if it was Encanto or Raya and the Last Dragon. So I kept both of them out of the top 10, and just meant that left them as honorable mentions because I like the world building in Raya and how it was not of this world and I love the world building in Encanto but I couldn't pick one over the other to okay. be in the top 10 and I think you like Encanto a lot better me yeah uh, yeah Encanto is on my list of uh, runners up here's uh, I'll just rattle them off if you don't mind go ahead uh, wife of a spy uh, Kurt Vonnegut, Unstuck in Time, the documentary. Encanto, yes. Uh, nearly making my top 10, but not. Titan, Benedetta. Oh, yes. <laughs> Cry Macho, uh, which I just enjoyed on a purely uh, enjoyed level. <laughs> no, I, I didn't think it was as bad because I went in with really low... When I go in with really low expectations... I will give some, and I will also give something just pure entertainment value. Mm -hmm. No redeeming highbrow. It's going to be award worthy. They just want to entertain. They just want to provide some escape. I'm okay with that. That's pretty much what this is. And also a possible last film for Eastwood. Uh, last night in Soho, the French dispatch, the velvet underground, the worst person in the world being the Ricardos, the hand of God, West Side Story, Pig, Flea, and The Tragedy of Macbeth. All very, very good movies. Not quite on my top 10. There you go. Alex, what do you have? Should I just list all of them? Go <laughs> ahead. Just list them as, as okay. many as you think are worthy. All right. Um, all right. Skies of Lebanon, Nine Days, Limbo, Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn, um, Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, I'm Your Man, Lamb, The French Dispatch, Belfast, The Beta Test, Summer of Soul, The Rescue, The Lost Leonardo, Malignant, The Humans, Nobody, The Suicide Squad, In the Heights, Tick Tick Boom, The Woman Who Ran, Censor, Luca, Spencer, Come On, Come On, About Endlessness, Red Rocket, The Power of the Dog, and Drive My Car are my honorable mentions. Lynn, what do you have for us? Okay, I have Come On, Come On, Flea, Free Guy, A Hero, In the Heights, The Last Duel, Last Night in Soho, Luca, Mass, 
the Mitchells versus the Machines, Pig, A Quiet Place Part Two, Summer of Soul, The Sparks Brothers, Street Gang, How We Got to Sesame Street, The Tender Bar, Test Pattern, Tina, Val, and We Are the Thousand. A lot of music documentaries in those. Yes, and We Are the Thousand, I have tried to find streaming, and it's not. But if you go to YouTube and put in Rockin' 1000, you can see the clips. This music, this movie is pure joy. It won the Joe Williams Award for Documentary at the St. Louis International Film Festival. It is about a group of people in Italy who wanted the Foo Fighters to come to their town. So they made a video that went viral of a thousand people practicing Learn to Fly are not yeah. practicing, but performing. They, perfor- well, practicing they performed it. And- they, wanted, they wanted Foo Fighters to come to their town and they this is how that they were going to do it. This was a major thing like six years ago. And it's so good. And I, if, if people don't watch foreign movies, don't let that bother you because it is just very universal in how music changed all these people's lives like they had let it go for a while they decided well i'll get back into it with this or just about how music had such a special meaning in their lives and of course dave Grohl saw it and taped a video message back to them and in italian and and then some people arranged for this group of organizers to go to Walla Walla, Washington and see Foo Fighters and they got to meet them and hang out with them. And then the Foo Fighters did come to Italy. And now this has been so fun and successful that they do this every year. They did, they pick a song and everybody learns it and they come together on this racetrack hilltop in italy and record it well they do concerts every year also and i i don't know if dave grohl's friends with them anymore because one year they had courtney love come and show up and they did a whole song so uh, i don't know if dave is a fan of that but i wish it was more readily available because i really tried hard to see because we had access to it because we judged the it was at the film festival so anyway if you just want something that's pure joy i find this year the last we're entering year three of a global pandemic and i find that what i want out of movie is different now (laughs) after seeing like three or four really super depressing films i just want to as dan buffer likes to say cleanse the palate and just watch something that's gonna just entertain. And that's why when we talked this year earlier, Moxie, the map of tiny perfect things, and I will add American Dreamer to that. To me, that was the most surprising movie of the year for me because I didn't think the um, a Kurt Warner story was going to be- Oh, you mean American as, Underdog. Yeah, American Underdog. You said American Dreamer. Oh, okay. Well, kind of I mean, because that story is ready made for Hollywood. But I did find 
that it was very inspirational. I even went on Sunday to the Esquire to see a matinee with my nephew and one of my late son Tim's friends and their girlfriends. And the girls loved the love story and the guys loved the football. And it was fun to be with the crowd because people reacted to all the Rams jazz and everybody applauded at the end of the movie. And that is so rare. You know, I saw it in November with five sports guys. So I, as, and, and then they were all shocked at how much they liked it. So, but that's still, you know, when we see things with critics, it's different yeah. than when you see them with an audience. Yes. Like seeing Spider-Man Far From Home with an, or No Way Home. Seeing Spider-Man No Way Home with an audience is a lot different than seeing it with a crowd of critics. Yeah. Right. And I haven't seen it yet. You, you will actually see it probably better when you but, see it with the crowd. But it might have been too long. You're going to be seeing it with people who have seen it on their second and third time. Yeah. And you probably read uh, all the spoilers in the Variety email. No, I have tried. No, actually, like Carl said, I have avoided every article about Spider-Man. Good luck. I think they just declared, the filmmakers themselves just declared that uh, the moratorium. The Statue of Limitations, yeah. yeah. It's it's off. So, uh, uh, you know. uh, Good luck. Yeah. You're not going to enjoy it as much once you're spoiled because there are actual feel-good cheering moments in the movie. Well, and I it's like not Tom. even on, and I don't think it's on any of our lists. It is. Uh, no. It's my number. It's my number uh, six uh, because I oh. I've seen it twice, and the first time with the critics, it was kind of like, okay, I can see the reverse engineering here, and then the second time, it's like, you know what? That's okay. Uh, this is well, Jim. Just go through no, your list. No other movie gives an audience its money's worth like spider-man no way home if you just like you know uh, if you've been going to popular movies uh for the last however many years um and uh you enjoy you don't mind superheroes this this thing is a, a blast um go th- just blow through them we're all let's i i think we just all blow through them go and, ahead, then I, and then i sign off no not, you don't have to sign off we not, can all respond okay number 10 uh, number 10 is Mitchell's versus the machines. Fantastic mm. film. Uh, my whole family mm. laughed. I laughed very hard. Uh, I know there was a push in our group when we were voting for, uh, for this in categories like best comedy and whatnot. I agree wholeheartedly. This is might be the funniest movie I saw here. Uh, number nine was mass. The, uh, the best ensemble piece I've seen in a while. Great forehander about grief. Uh you know, really hard to watch, but oh. very, very insightful and just the humanity of it. And Ann Dowd got our best supporting actress award, but I would put Martha Plimpton up there too. Well, all four yeah. of them are so good in this movie, and they have to be. Uh, it's a story about, you know, uh, two couples meeting. Uh, a, a few years after a school shooting occurred where the one couple's son killed the other couple's son. And they are, of course, forever 
trying to work things out and and yeah it's it's so fascinating such a such an interesting piece i assumed it was probably based on a play uh i don't believe it is no that's what everybody was thinking because it did premiere at sundance and uh the the screenwriter fran kranz first time script yeah 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 the script is amazing in mass too it's It's like fantastic yeah so that's my number nine. Uh, and does anybody have anything else to add to Mass? No, it's a um, hard watch. It's just, yeah, I feel like something that's not talked about a lot is like how the camera work and the editing and the aspect mm-hmm. ratio kind of changes over the course of the movie to heighten intensity. So it's not like you're just watching. I mean, it's easy to see how it could be presented as a play, but the movie kind of, it goes beyond that. It, it, As it well. has a cinematic intentionality about it yeah. that, you know, earns it a place on my list. Um, number eight is the Sparks Brothers, the Edgar Wright Sparks music documentary uh, that really opened my eyes to this band that has eluded me my entire life. And in fact, this is right up my alley, uh, right in all my I, I, I've. I'm ashamed to say I really haven't heard of Sparks until uh, Annette. And then, you know, seeing this, uh, which I saw this afterwards, um, man, holy cow, this sent me down a rabbit hole, uh, which my wife can attest, uh, a rabbit hole of craziness that nobody but me in the house uh, can appreciate. Okay, number seven, No Time to Die, the James Bond film. I am a sucker for Bond. I love what Daniel Craig has done with it. I appreciate how uh, he has uh, his presence, his Bond has uh, opened up the franchise to new possibilities. And boy, this is one of them. It's a movie we didn't think we were going to get because Daniel Craig was so staunch about having been done with this. And and then they got him back, uh, probably, you know, backed up uh, not not just a truckload full of money, but like a, like a, uh, enough super, money that he doesn't yeah. have to do this again a super villain volcano lair filled with money <laughs> exploded in his direction and he got to keep it all uh, just for having made this fantastic movie and it uh, is a good movie for his bond to end exactly and then uh, number six as i mentioned is spider-man no way home five cyrano the uh, mm. the musical people aren't talking about this boy no what? it's 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 very uh beautifully shot yeah. i i joe wright is hot and cold with me like yep. i love atonement love it so much and then he's had a couple but what he does with this is brilliant mm. and Haley bennett is radiant yeah and if you okay. have Kelvin Harrison in the cast, I'm there. It's it's Peter Dinklage and where, you know, his Cyrano is instead of, you know, the nose, it's that he's a little guy, you know, and that's that's, um, you know, kind of what sets him apart, uh, certainly in the world of this movie. And Dinklage just owns this movie. Uh, he's so very good. And I don't know, this movie just isn't getting the attention. I think it's day will come, though. Well, I think it fell through the cracks because it's not going to come out wide till later in January. And then at awards time, we kind of got it at the end when we were overwhelmed 
yeah i think i was i didn't get a chance to watch it unfortunately yeah. yet uh yeah my my daughter my teenage daughter and my wife and i watched it and boy it's just great it, you know especially watching it with them um okay number four for me is red rocket uh this is uh <laughs> another controversial pick yeah is it is this a controversial I, I, pick i it? love it too i i love red rocket okay. well i had to quit midway after the the young girl and him i just couldn't take it anymore and i was like i gotta stop it so i did not review it because i was like i'm just done this is an unpleasant movie in a lot of ways um by design i think this is there's there's been no shortage of movies that that tick the box i'm about to reveal but not to spoil it and sean baker the director writer of this movie i'm sorry but i believe this is the most searing indictment of the trump era put on film mm-hmm. and uh, it, it just this character played by this guy simon rex uh, as is this like you know uh, just magnetic narcissist uh that you know, we're drawn to watching what happens next, but he's horrible. He's a terrible person. And, and yet, you know, we find ourselves sucked up into his ridiculous uh, terribleness and the way the girl gets caught up in it, this, this, you know, innocent young Texas girl. Um, and the movie can be confounding, but if you look at it, through <laughs> that filter, uh, there you go. Well, that poor ex-wife. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And her mom. But Sean Baker has made a career about uh, about uh, looking under the rock. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this the is- Florida Project, Tangerine. Mm-hmm. He's different. Not everybody. Uh, and these characters are not necessarily good people. Yeah. Oh, As no. you said. It reminds and, me of like a Safety Brothers movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's yeah. a very good analogy. A good, 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 good comparison, I should say. <laughs> yeah. So that's Red Rocket by Sean Baker. Uh, not a movie necessarily to go watch with your mother in law or whatever. But <laughs> or uh, grandmother. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Three, Memoria. This hmm. is uh, the director with the very long name that is very difficult to pronounce. Um, let's see. It's a uh, uh, Pitchapong we're we're um, It's uh, here for those of you. Uh, anyway, his name he he's made this film with Tilda Swinton. Uh, very quickly, the word on this is supposed to be uh, that uh, Memoria will never be released. Uh, on home video in any way it will only ever be a theatrical experience and it will only ever play on one screen at a time until it ends that run now i don't buy it for a second in fact we as critics have already received a a disc uh, for (laughs) year-end consideration so so you know it's it's a lot of weird hot air but it's interesting weird hot air and i think it did its job of getting this movie uh noticed by the likes of us likes of me anyhow and and so yeah it's like okay i'll take a look at this i have not been enamored with all of this filmmaker's other works it's what you call slow cinema it's very meditative immersive um but man 
if Red Rocket is the Trump expose, this movie might be the great pandemic era, veiled pandemic era movie. Uh, but it's about so much more. Tilda Swinton plays a woman who's suffering from what's called exploding head syndrome, uh, which is when you're you're sleeping or you're about to fall asleep and you hear a loud boom and it's in your head, but you wake up and, and a lot of us experience this from time to time. Well, she experiences it all the time and uh, really sends her on a, uh, uh, a rabbit hole of strangeness. And, uh, you know, again, it's a, it's a slow, odd movie that goes to its own drum. So that's Memoria. Good luck finding it. Um, two, Power of the Dog which are we talking about that later we no, yeah. we can talk well Go it's, ahead. it's number three on my list so okay okay well uh lots of acclaim for this film by jane campion it's kind of a latter-day western uh meaning a western with cars in the early years of vehicle you know it's like 19 what 20s 1910s 1925 oh yeah okay so very late but it has that western aesthetic insofar as it's a film about the landscape and about uh, people isolated out in uh, out in the, the, the land um, and, uh, you know, dirt and horses and, and the like and cowboy hats. Benedict Cumberbatch is terrifying in this film. He is I don't I can't think of a film where a director has been so enamored with a single actor. You can just feel it in the movie. This film is full of great performances, Kristen Dunst and Coe Smith-McPhee and others. But man, when Jane Campion puts her camera on Benedict Cumberbatch, it was almost like a palpable, like fascination. Like what's this guy doing? How's he, he's, you know, and, and um, yeah. yeah. So that, that this film and, and uh, you know, it's got a little, uh, well, I won't say you that. can't talk about it or else it no. ruins the experience I, I, for anyone that yes. sees it. I don't want yes. to do that. I don't want to do I know. that. So. I, well, I have talked about this movie and talked about this movie because I was privileged to attend a uh, press conference and I also got a round table with Jane Campion. And what fascinates me about uh, directors that are not from America their view of the West is intriguing to me. And what she and the cinematographer, Ari Wagner did, even though it's, it was filmed in New Zealand, passing for Montana, what, what they see about the West that we don't see because we're here, I find that fascinating. But also when you see this movie, you immediately wanna watch it again to see what you missed because the clues are there all along. I follow and the clues I know. pretty, pretty, they're, they're not subtle. No, but to yeah. me, Benedict Cumberbatch, what I noticed right off the bat was his walk. How confident was that brother? And then he's so awful of a, he's a horrible man, a horrible man. So that when he has a sort of softening to his new nephew, we are all waiting for something horrible to happen. And you have that growing sense of, a knee, of unease. And the way he treats his, how cruel he is to Kirsten Dunst 
oh, it's just awful. And then Jesse Plemons is always, I think Cody Smith McPhee is the secret weapon here. But how good is Jesse Plemons being just this little plump uh, older brother who tolerates? He's the only likable character in the movie. Yes. And they're married in real life, Kirsten Dunst and and Jesse Plemons. And uh, one of the first questions at this press conference was, what did you have to learn for this part? Cody had to learn how to ride horses. Kirsten Dunst had to learn how to play the piano. Uh, Jesse Plemons, uh, he grew up in Texas. If you watch Friday Night Lights, his big break, then you know that that, but his dad was a cowboy. And so he grew up with horses his whole life, but they gave him a plow horse that was difficult. And so he had to deal with that. And then Benedict Cumberbatch goes up to the mic and says, I had to learn how to be an asshole. And he does that very well in that film. Oh, yeah. But just like the walk with Cody McPhee, uh, Cody Smith McPhee, that walk he has. And when he knows those guys are taunting him and mocking him and he walks past those ranch hands, those are just little moments that you think about. And I know it's a slow movie. I've said from the get go, this is a tough sell. It's a hard watch. I don't know if Netflix uh, audience was going to embrace it, but our film critics association, we're mentioned among the many film critics who awarded Jane Campion director and Cody Smith McPhee best supporting actor. I'd say this is not a hard watch in the sense that say mass is a hard watch. Um, I, I think it's, I, I found it uh, very absorbing. I, you know, never boring. It carried me along in a way I wasn't frankly expecting. Uh, I was wondering going into it. Okay. This movie's so claimed, how much is this going to be an eat your vegetables type of experience? I don't know. That's okay with me, but let's just see. And uh, I was very, uh, very taken with it. And I will be watching it again uh, with my wife soon. We, my wife uh, and the, when when my wife's able to watch movies with me she always likes to watch westerns which um, nice surprises her more than anything else so that's (laughs) the that's the thing you know marvel movies westerns uh that sort of stuff that's what we usually end up with when we have the decision okay number one for me by the way is that good are we good on power the dog well yeah yeah i i really like how they kind of weaponize the dialogue and power of the dog so they don't like show a lot of like i mean all of the violence is kind of like through language and through like psychological manipulation so that's a very interesting way to go about the drama so i think that that kept me engaged from start to finish and i was always it was always suspenseful i didn't i mean the the pacing is like i wouldn't even call it that slow paced of a movie compared to others no, but not at all but deliberate it's, it's yeah, deliberate yeah i agree with that yeah yeah, and then the banjo, the banjo, movie. that pluck in the banjo. Huh, yeah, like that's a horror movie. That's the scene that sticks out to me the most in part. The piano the versus the banjo? Yeah. Well, Jane Campion met with the Savage family because this is based on a novel by Thomas Savage, who wrote about dysfunctional rich people in the West. And uh this she isn't even at, one of his more famous novels either. No. And she went to the ranch and they were saying, oh, don't look, because there was a rock formation in the back, like, which is so prominent in the film. And uh, she and the cinematographer, they found the dog. They were mm-hmm. like, look, 
it's there. And she felt that that was a sign from Thomas Savage going, okay, you can do my movie. Gotcha. But isn't that weird? But yeah, no, there's all sorts of things in this that you have to reflect upon. And I know Carl says that you shouldn't watch a movie again to... You shouldn't like have it, to watch have a movie to. again. But one of my top 10, I did see again, and it made my top 10. So go ahead, Jim, with your number one. He, we already know what his licorice. number one is. Yeah, it's, it's licorice pizza. Okay. And, and it's, it's, there are great things about licorice pizza, except that one thing I just can't get over. Alex, what is your top 10? All right. Um, for my top 10, at number 10, I have Mass, which we've already... I guess we've already pretty much talked about, but absolutely amazing, really gripping film. Just, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. It's hard to recommend necessarily, Yeah. I guess, but it feels very important in the ways it explores grief and forgiveness. And it's kind of its own horror film in a way where it's like, there aren't any easy answers and it doesn't, it doesn't talk down to the audience. Like, I mean, I don't know. I still like Don't Look Up, but I feel like Don't Look Up is like the complete opposite side of exploring serious issues as mass is and kind of how it treats its audience. Um, so yeah, mass is that number 10. Number nine, I have Pig, Nicolas Cage winning best commits. actor for... He commits um, to everything in that movie. Yeah, and it's like Oh, I've I watched Pig three times, and the first time I watched it, it didn't hit me that hard. But the second time I watched it, I'm like, I focus less on where the plot's headed. I I mean, I guess I went in knowing that it wasn't going to be what I expected. That it wasn't going to be like a normal Nicolas Cage revenge movie. It wasn't going to be anything like Mandy or whatever, which I also love, but very different. But um, yeah, I guess focus less on where the plot's headed and more on the ways that the film like navigates all the different interactions between characters because it's it's a very subtle film in a way where the dialogue isn't I mean yeah the dialogue is sometimes a bit heavy-handed but other times it just a few lines of dialogue you you can think about and kind of piece together characters histories and relationships to one another has Alex a really Wolf powerful has ending Alex Wolf probably has more lines of dialogue than Nicolas Cage does. Yeah. You'll never look at a baguette the same way again. And mm -hmm. that scene in the restaurant for lunch. Oh, yeah. That's a great scene. Yep. It just says everything you need to know about pretentious restaurant experiences. <laughs> and just, and the way Nicolas Cage takes that chef down is so good so well, so good and then anytime anyone says well nicholas cage is just doing anything for the money you have an answer you have a recent answer where you can say no he still sometimes does it for the work I, i've heard every 10 years or so nicholas cage is brilliant and everything in between those brilliant moments is the cash in it's the filler it's the he's got tax the new house it. yeah yeah the but, wives but, he's got but, a lot of ex-wives yeah it'll be, you know movie like joe in there which uh, and pig and uh, uh the the verna herzog uh, port of call new orleans these things mm -hmm. are fantastic with it's because of him you mm -hmm. know he can be he's still a coppola through that go ahead alex uh so at eight i have the last duel 
which is between Ridley Scott's two movies released 2021, Last Duel is head and shoulders above House of Gucci, in my opinion. It's another movie that I didn't adore the first time I watched it, but I rewatched it and started to like it more and more. Just a really suspenseful, very mature, violent, brutal medieval thriller exploring sexism and misogyny. Um, I think it's kind of like a, a Rashomon style narrative where um, you kind of get to explore like three different perspectives on a conflict. And I feel like it's, there's so much like um, details that go into explaining like what exactly it's about. So I'm just kind of going to describe it generally. Look how far we've come. Oh wait, not at all. <laughs> but I think, I think what it says differently, it's like, each character's perspective, like you, you see how they perceive themselves and how others perceive them. And then we, when you switch between the characters, you see the differences between those perspectives. Mm -hmm. And so I think in that way, it's kind of innovative and it says something that needs to be said in these kinds of movies. And um, also, I mean, of course, like since it's Ridley Scott, you'd expect the really bone-crushing action scenes, and you certainly get those in The Last Duel. It is very violent. Yeah. That last scene. Yeah. Because it's based on it's based on That's a real last story. duel yeah. in yeah. France. Uh, I yeah, love Jodie Comer in this, and she was one of my oh, top yeah. five actresses uh, of the year. And I think uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon contributed to the script and how do you say nicole's last name hofsener like hofseners hofseners um it's very much a feminist take on on uh the whole sexual assault thing but adam driver look at the year he's had because in house of gucci he goes from the shy awkward law student to becoming michael corleone before our very eyes and then Annette he's an awful human being and and then I guess redeeming factor is he does like the puppet daughter and then and then um this where he plays this another really horrible overpowering guy yeah he's always very good i mean adam driver could be you know national treasure material for us here um you know it's just it, he he does these uncompromising things i think one of the things about last duel and i'm not over the moon about it by any stretch but i do think the reason for the violence in the movie is interesting uh, yeah which, which i mean i do a, a spoiler perhaps yeah to get into but uh you know it's usually we're used to having this big fiery motivation for everything and you know this is not that <laughs> yeah i mean i don't think the last duel is a perfect film by any means and it, it certainly has some issues with how it handles the the sexual assault that is kind of central to the narrative mm -hmm. and i think it goes like, I don't know. I it, It's kind of an interesting 
way that Ridley Scott approaches it. And I don't think it, he entirely pulls it off in that respect, but it's still one of the year's best films, despite that, in my opinion. Just a hard watch. <laughs> Another hard watch. Next, <laughs> go ahead, Alex, go ahead. Uh, well, my next movie is also a, a difficult watch, but I guess in kind of a different way, Flea, which is an uh, animated documentary hybrid about an Afghan refugee's um, journey. Um, it's just a really, really powerful, um, very moving piece of work, um, just kind of exploring kind of um, the trauma and what can't be like, what's permanently lost for this um, man at the center of the story. Um, it's, it's just, yeah, I guess one of the best animated films of the year by far. And I think it's really interesting how the animation kind of depicts all of like the horror and also the hope mixed in. It's just, you experience like all the emotions watching the movie. And it's another really timely. Yeah. You cut off, Alex, we can't hear you. It's a timely thing. It's timely. I, it's uniquely told, very uniquely told. Yeah, I would say, you know, people voted for it for best animated film and whatnot. I, I didn't. I think it's a fantastic movie, but for its its oh, animation. Okay, uh, I'm back. <laughs> I, I found the animation to be, you know, it's subpar animation. So I felt like, well, we've got films that are technically better animated to vote right. for in that category. But for documentary, uh, boy. Uh, that animation works in the service of what this film is doing 100%. Yeah, it's like the yeah. characters kind of move kind of jaggedly, but then the whole environment around them is like very like vivid and smooth in a way. So it's a really interesting juxtaposition, I think. Yeah. All right, next. Oh, right. And next I have uh, Licorice Pizza. Uh, which we, I guess we I, we've already discussed. I love it. It's one of my few ten out of ten movies this year. Um, all right, and then at four I have Petite Maman, which is yeah, absolutely Caribbean. incredible. French I still have to watch it. Yeah, me too. Oh, it's amazing. But from director Cel Celine Siama, um, well, it's like another film. It's like only it's like 70 minutes long or so. So I don't really want to go into the plot too much because I don't want to spoil too much. Because but, as soon as you turn it on, it's over. I mean, it's one of those films where every second, every little glance between the characters holds importance and it doesn't spell it out for you. So it does. It's it requires some effort from the audience to fully grasp, like maybe what's going on at certain points. But another exploration of grief and childhood and the kind of rift that's formed between children and their parents over time. Um, and it's a coming of age story, uh, really great child performances. Um, yeah. Just so aren't those twins? Aren't those yeah. twins? Yeah, they are. Um, so yeah, very subtle. Um, lots lots to think about and it's like a science fiction film where some some weird stuff happens 
but it doesn't waste time trying to explain like the mechanics of it all. It just you accept it and then it it goes in service of the film's themes. So um thank you for thank you for being spoiler free. I appreciate that. Yeah, because it's like I had a little blurb written out about it. And I was like, you know, nah. I think it's gonna give too much away. Yeah. But and there are a lot I, of films on this list that are just like that. If you say too much, you ruin the experience for people. Yeah. But I don't even know when it's gonna be released, like <laughs> wide release. So uh I hope it comes out soon. Um at number three, I have the Green Knight, which is one of the most underrated movies of the year. I wish it was getting a lot more love in award circles. I felt that way about Dev Patel's movie last year, the David Copperfield movie. I think that I don't know what it is. Why can't he break through on these movies that he is so good in? It's like the Josh Brolin uh, of now, uh, where the, he's just so good and a great presence in everything, but the movies just, for whatever reason, don't click with the public. Um, not mm -hmm. that the Green Knight ever had a shot at it or was aspired. I mean, they marketed it no, like but it was supposed a, to be Game of Thrones, but you know, people go see it. No, and realize, it's a historical oh. tale, and kids yeah. should be forced to re or watch it because they're supposed to know about the Green Knight but in literature. But it's a revisionist of that literature. I mean, it's its own thing, and, right? And, mm -hmm. it, and it is it is great, but it it does make you do homework in a way that I'm normally averse to. I believe like. Carl was saying the movies should not require you to necessarily have to revisit them or what, you know, or like I'm saying, uh, go do homework. But in this case, the homework is rewarding and it's part of it. And I think it's by design. So uh, see the green Knight. Yeah. We'll talk, we'll talk about that on one of Lynn's films, which dropped it out of my top 10. Go ahead, Alex. What's I... your runner up? All right. Runner up is tragedy of Macbeth, which is just absolutely incredible. I've rewatched it so many times. Um, there are so many good things about it. Yeah, I know. It's just, I mean, it doesn't change the original play very much. It is very loyal to its origins. It. Yeah, and um, I just absolutely love the aesthetic of the movie and the production design and the editing. How everything's kind of like a nightmarish, very like claustrophobic and atmospheric vision. Um, yeah, there's just not really a single thing I dislike about it. It's just another movie where no wasted time. It cuts straight to the chase. Um, and it has and all the I, lines that you know. Less than two hours compared to mm -hmm. so many movies this year, two and a half to three hour long. Which movies. it could have been if they didn't cut it down. But Joel Cohen's yeah. vision here brilliant and i'll talk about that later but the cinematography and the music by carter burwell adds so much and then you have denzel and francis mcdormand mm -hmm. and it's like others personally i think tragedy and macbeth and the green knight have the strongest visuals of any film this of 2021 even surpassing dune for how they've stuck in my mind over well, time Dune and Macbeth actually have a lot of things in common. The starkness of the sets mm -hmm. and the the just vastness in and being in a confined space at the same time. I found a lot of comparisons to Dune and Macbeth. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I thought as far as sparseness goes, um, I love Tragedy of Macbeth, and I, I very much enjoy, you know, the way that Cohen went about doing it. What kept it off my top 10 is uh, just because I thought, well, you know, he's very much hearkening back to the Lawrence Olivier Hamlet slash and, and even uh, Orson Welles Chimes at Midnight and, and Othello, you know, his Shakespeare's aesthetics where, you know, in the case of Welles, you know, he didn't have any money. He, he was scrambling to make these movies, uh, especially with Chimes at Midnight. So you end up with this stark black and white, you know, but what, what he can do is imbue those movies with this impressionism and this uh, expressionism. And, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, here we see Joel Cohen uh, chasing that in a way that, you know, he has the budget, he has the resources to be very exact and very intentional. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, that's interesting, um, but it's not new. And uh, so therefore, yeah, I said, definitely watch this movie, though. It's uh, boy, it's. And it's... as I suggested, if if you are not very Shakespeare, watch it with and it's on Apple TV plus watch it with the subtitles on. You'll feel January 14th. Yeah, January 14th. You'll follow it better with the yes. subtitles on. You will. It, uh... I totally agree with that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. What's your number one movie of the year? Alex? All right. It's Teton crazy french you've been telling film. everybody about this for months uh, now yeah what it's just tell? this is I a just sex with wa- cars movie what it's far far more than that oh oh titan yeah titan oh, yeah. I, I misheard you no my <laughs> gosh nobody knows how to say the title of this movie and uh i think maybe you're the only one who does um go ahead well it's just an absolutely incredible very unpredictable uncomfortable stomach churning heartwarming in some ways sentimental by the end it's just i don't know you can't it's you can't classify it any particular genre or anything it's just one of those films where you just strap in takes you on a very unpredictable thrill ride through to the end um tackling a lot of themes including gender norms and people having agency over their own body and family and grief and it's I just I don't want to explain much of the plot because it just something happens like a quarter of the way through that you'll be like what on earth is (laughs) and yeah the sex with the car happens in the first 15 minutes that is not a huge thing (laughs) no no i was gonna say you gotta you gotta give that that log line that the premise uh okay a girl has sex with a car and gets pregnant by it okay that's the movie uh from there you know (laughs) it just goes nuts and uh you know i think that you know but i think you kind of gotta have that that log line yeah Mm. uh which very disturbing there's your hook. but i uh, i yeah. will i will say the girl who plays Alexia. uh she's quite the breakthrough oh, it's a fearless I got, I got performance mm-hmm. the dad character i will say the dad character not the real dad character mm-hmm. who's awful uh but the uh, father figure is interesting and has won some critics awards but this one the palm door at 
the Cannes Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm did. glad. I'm glad they liked it. I'm glad it was getting getting love. The, the French liked it. <laughs> it was um, out of have... the best foreign language or best international feature at the Oscars. So I was well. Upset yeah, about that. It, it got snubbed. Uh, I will say, Alec, because you told me to watch it before we voted, I did, and it was uh, one of the last movies I saw. And I had some concerns about you after I watched it. <laughs> oh, hey. <laughs> This movie's right up there. For, I, it was like always at the top of my need to see list uh, ever since Can. Uh, it's like, you know, this could be something. Uh, the, the, the director who made this movie, she made this film called Raw a few years ago, which. One of my all time favorite movies, by the way. Raw is. It, well, how did. Okay. Would you place Titan ahead of Raw then? Because. Honestly, I would. I would. I think the emotional core of Teton is stronger than Raw. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's just, there's so many, I guess, heartbreaking scenes in Teton that you would just would not expect. And the way it uses music and dancing to communicate the kind of emotions of the characters is very intriguing as well. So it's just, yeah. it really, it's like, it's repulsive in some ways. And then it's <laughs> like, I really care about these characters, even though I don't know a whole lot about them. It's like Cronenberg. Well, the uh, chopsticks, two words, chopsticks, or one Ooh. word. That's one yeah, word. hairpin. Hairpin, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, Cronenberg meets Gaspar Noé uh, by way of a <laughs> uh, uh, maybe angry French female director. Uh, it, 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 it's, my gosh, this movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you cinematically, go. you've not seen anything like it. I yeah. will give it that. Yes, I will. I will give it that 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 there's nothing like it out there. All right. I'm going to do mine. I'm going to blow through them and make you guys angry. So (laughs) number 10, if the 2017 Tonys were held today and they were based on the movies, Come From Away would win best musical because the Come From Away musical is on Apple Plus and it is a thousand times better than the movie that beat it for the best musical in 2017, Dear Evan Hansen. They did what they did with Hamilton last year. They just filmed it on Broadway. And that is what they should have done with Dear Evan Hansen because Come From Away, a great story about a Canadian town gander in September 11th, 2001. All these planes got diverted and it is a great true story you should see come from way it's on apple tv plus my number nine movie is tina which is the story about tina turner it's on hbo max it is everything that tina turner says she never is going to talk about again this time i think she means it it's based on her book with kurt loader and this time i think tina is we're not going to hear from tina turner again i think she's going to retire and this is the capper of her amazing career uh number eight is one of those palate cleansers i saw this movie on a plane and i thought it would be edited it was not nobody has a better fight scene in a bus than shang chi and the ten rings that fight scene is fantastic and everything that you wanted shang chi to be nobody is all about that and bob odenkirk is really strong 
And I really, I didn't, I'm like, I'm watching this on a plane and boom, it just hit me. Cause our buddy Dan Buffa told us about this movie when it came out and he was right about it. I really enjoyed Nobody. Wait, uh, wait, 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 we're talking about Nobody, not Shang-Chi? No, right, we're talking about Nobody. Okay, all right. Nobody is, nobody's fight scene on the bus is better than Shang-Chi. Got it. Bob Odenkirk. Yes. Oh. Although Christopher Lloyd is pretty darn- As uh, his dad cool in this has yeah, was, one of the best soundtracks of the year nobody does this nobody's it, it's really surprising how good it is and it doesn't deserve to be that good it's really good uh number seven we talked about pig i i think nicholas nicholas cage's performance their makeup and continuity director make him making him look that awful for the entire film. You no, know, it's, it's not like he just says, you know what, I'm going to shower today. No, he looks like that for the entire film. It is it is really impressive how they had that stand up for what was supposed to be like a course of three days. And he just kept looking woo, very weirdly. What do you want to bet that was a selling point to get him to make the movie? It's like, hey, you listen, you don't have to shower. Nicholas, yeah, you don't have to shower. We're going to cover you with mud. It's going to be, he's like, oh, I'm there. <laughs> number six is wes anderson's the french dispatch which we talked about a little bit um mm -hmm. i know i know lynn does not like all of the stories in this movie but i'm not picking it apart as five different things i'm looking at as a whole uh number five is free guy the only one of the few movies mm -hmm. i watched more than once this year because i jim i watched it without my daughter then i had to go back and watch it with my daughter because she appreciated all the youtubers in it yeah she liked it less than i did oh see that my boys uh they they knew about this movie for a while because of all the youtubers uh, uh you know and this movie is just my gosh it's shameless and it's angling for the kids in the youtube but yeah uh, well uh, hmm. there you go i don't know <laughs> i i thought it was a creative premise yeah, i really admire is. the premise of free guy I but, enjoyed it a lot too. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I I like people shedding light on video game culture, but I'm a I'm a huge gamer myself. I'm not not scared to admit it, but I feel like it didn't portray gamers very well. No, that's why my daughter didn't like it. Yeah, that oh. really bugged me because it it felt like the movie didn't really know what it was trying to say about that culture in a way. So right. like Jodie Comer and yeah, she, uh, again. she was good. And uh, 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 Tita Waititi. Titi Waititi. And yep, uh, you could tell, the, the guy who's the lead on Ghosts on CBS, this is where I first found out about the guy being the uh, co-worker, let's just say that in Free Guy. Uh, number four, while I was watching this movie, when you're watching some movies, you go, this is my favorite movie of the year. The first Lynn knows what I'm talking about. The first third of this movie oh, is perfect. Right. I think second, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> the second third of this movie, I'm okay with. And as Alex, you said, the last third of the movie sucks, which it would have been my first number one movie of the year, but the first third of the movie is so perfect. I kept Last Night in Soho as my number four movie because I, I just wish the ending was better. I, Sorry, Edgar Wright. Yeah. It was a perfect movie up until it got to a point. If they would have reshot or made more ambiguous the last half hour, it would have been 
Uh, it would have been my favorite movie, possibly of the decade, because it is so good until it does that turn that comes out of nowhere. And the ending is bad. Yeah, it's I, weird. It, it, if they would have made it ambiguous and that they would have said, and I don't want to say anymore because I, people do like the movie. Um, number three, I can't believe no one has talked about this. Coda on Apple Plus. Lynn's going to talk about it. Coda and Jim, I think you'll understand this. I think I like Coda because I have a senior in high school and she's getting ready to go off to school. And so that actually probably made it higher up on my list than a lot of people because that letting go problem, not problem, but that letting go issue issue is yeah. a big deal. Um, mm -hmm. Number two, here's where people are going to be mad at me, Lynn. I said that this counts as a movie. It is a documentary about a documentary. It is eight hours long. I don't care what any of you say. Get Back is one of the best things that is out there on film. Mm -hmm. Jim agrees with me because Jim wanted to argue for this with our film group as well. well the Beatles Get Back on Disney Plus is a movie. It is in three parts. Yeah, It is one of the best things on film this year. Yeah, I didn't expect anyone to be able to sit through it with the glut of movies we're expected to watch, you know, because just because it's that long. But I yeah. watched all eight hours in two days. I would have watched more. I hear there's a longer cut. I'm waiting for it. And my number one film of the year is Netflix's The Mitchells versus the Machines. I mm. do believe it is because I have a daughter that is going off to film slash right. art school. And that is not why i loved it i think hmm. it's every single kind of animation it is experimental it is not what you think of a teen there's a as we mentioned with all of these uh animated films it's not all about getting a boyfriend or or someone coming to save you none of these movies are like that well, yeah. maybe fleas trying to they escape so, something they it, so rarely are it's not Disney has made the turn, and I know this is not a Disney. This is a Lord and Miller production, um, but Mike and Jeff directed it. So, but Lord and Miller, part of the Disney thing, they've made the turn of they don't need no man, and so that is what all these animated features are now. There, it's not about getting a boyfriend or having someone save you. And this young woman is trying to uh, not only save the world but save her. Actually, she wants to get away from her family. Mm -hmm. It's a post-apocalyptic comedy, but where the machines have risen up and, uh, you know, it, it's it's wild and crazy and it's just so wonderfully overstuffed. And it fun. Feels like there's enough there for yeah. three movies, really. And um, it, it has St. Louis in it. Let's not forget yes, that. Mm -hmm. And Everybody. also, I love the whole family aspect, and Olivia Coleman is pretty darn good. Yeah, as the and the the AI. Yeah, and, and, and but the, but the, but the the family going through that stage because Jim and Carl have experienced it. I experienced I, I have, it. He's not there yet. Don't oh, okay. Him. I okay. Well, I I went through all that where they start rolling their eyes at you and they're just not paying attention. Oh, and, over there. I thought yeah, you were going well, off to school. And and then you know you're driving them in the car and you have a rule like boys, you cannot put on any music that is demeaning to women. 
That was my one rule. And then we would each take turns putting music in. And what they tried to get away with was pretty funny. But also, they would just be like, oh, mom, why are we listening to Sting? You know, that kind of thing. So you go through all that. But Mitchell's captured all that family dynamic and the wanting to break away and be your own person and uh, the the goofy relationship between the brother and the sister and and then just the whole road trip was fun yeah and yeah. i i i you know how i've i've talked about how i feel about dan mcbride he's perfect in this movie uh, so is uh so is abby jacobson and i never watched broad city so i had nothing to go for uh on on her previous work and maya rudolph is great as the mom and the brother the, the whole movie and then back Bennett and Fred Armisen. It's got a great cast. Mm -hmm. I got to revisit it because I don't know. Based on that recommendation, I'll give it another chance. It, I, it didn't completely win me over as much as I was hoping it would because it, it felt like a lot of stimulation. It, it yeah, is. And, it, it an, animation, the animation styles changes. It changes from yeah. scene to scene. I know well, it's. You know, it's, it's very lot. it's very hectic jim bats did not like it as much as we all did because he said they're yelling at you the whole time it, it you know they're so frantic right. it's so yeah. frantic and i can see the that, world is that coming criticism. to an end yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know i know i i forgave I know. that that does bother me in these kids movies where they're so amped up for the sake of being amped up oh yeah like um, that crude sequel yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. where everybody's yelling and everybody's quippy and everybody's whoop. Boss you know, is so and, fast and no, yeah. it this one had so much, uh, you know, in its favor that I forgave that. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it is my number. All 10, right, Lynn. You okay, yes. well, I have You're some up. of the same and some different, so I'll blow through the ones that are different. My number ten is the crime of the century. This is the Alex Gibney four-hour documentary on the opioid crisis. The first two hours are about oxycodone. The second two hours are about fentanyl. Every American needs to see this. It's on HBO and HBO Max. It is terrifying and makes you angry and makes you sad. It is exhaustively researched. It is big pharma, and it is uh, the uh, the the doctors, the EMTs in West Virginia that are overwhelmed by the thing. This is the the most important epidemic. Well, now we've been through the pandemic, but of our time that people need to pay more attention to. And this movie is just so well constructed, and. Every minute is riveting. Yeah. So uh, yep. to draw attention to this doc, I put it on my top 10. Okay, number nine is The Dig, which came out last mm. January and Netflix did not push it for last year's awards as they could have because they extended that date. But, and, and, and people have forgotten about it. Ray finds in one of his best performances, it is people digging in the dirt in 1938 England, which is on the cusp of World War II. It is the biggest archeological find in England's history, a sixth century Anglo-Saxon ship. It's on the property of Kerry Mulligan. 
and she's wonderful. And Ray Fiennes is this working class excavator and they developed a special relationship. The museum people and the archeologists are fighting over it. And she's like, hold on here. This is my property. And it has a story that is endearing. It is illuminating. I just thought it was thoroughly entertaining about a subject I knew nothing about. Mm -hmm. Dig. And then uh, then eight is Belfast. I watched it again and I know Carl says, and I always say this too, you shouldn't watch it, have to watch a movie again to like it. But I think the first time I had such high expectations that I was like, no, I don't know if this is the best movie of the year. Because everybody was saying, oh, it's the best movie of the year. And I was like, eh, it's not the best movie it's of the year. Not. Like, yeah, not it us. might be one of them. But it's beautifully told by writer-director Kenneth Branagh based on his childhood. It's semi-autobiographical. He was nine years old on August 15th, 1969, when the troubles began in his Northern Ireland neighborhood. And that was between the Catholics and the Protestant. This, talk about a brilliant ensemble. Jamie Dorman is the dad, and Dornan is the dad, and he does not want to get involved picking a side. Well, he's caught in this whole thing. The mom is Katrina Balf, who's wonderful. And I she's, really do- She's better than he is. Right. But the grandparents, to me, just sell it. Karen oh, Hines. Judy Dench uh, is not a great actress. I forgot. She's a she's great. <laughs> I she's great in everything. She, but but she, that last every wrinkle line on her has. face tells a story. Yeah. But that last <laughs> line she has is just so moving. But Karen Hines, he has a special relationship with the little boy. Jude Hill is one of the most natural, unaffected kid performances. That kid is terrific. That opening scene after we see the colorful, real Belfast, then we have fade to black and white. And he's like a little kid playing in the street and he hears the rioters. He freezes. That is so good of a scene. Mm -hmm. And French that was one of our- The did almost the same thing several times in the movie that Belfast does, going from black and white to color and back again right and i just found uh the story well because it shows how the innocence of a child is changed yeah. because of the turbulence and also what is a home is it is it where you live or is it your family so i i went i went in hook line and seeker the second time because yeah you were saying that it was like the tonal shift that <laughs> were your main issue but how did how did that kind of how did that view change on your most recent viewing because i just saw what he was trying to do as the as the difference of the plot because they still are living in this town and they still are going through the motions but then mm -hmm. this the dialogue about religion with the little boy saying that Catholics go to confession and they can do whatever they want during the week. Oh yeah, but if, um, but there's a reason why he likes Catholics that you don't find out till the very end of the movie. And there's a lot of things that are left unsaid. Like I don't, I still don't know the relationship 
with that girl, the one that gets him into all the trouble. Is she they're, like they're cousins. Yeah, they're yeah, cousins. it's his cousin. Yeah. Okay, but still, she's she's the bad one in the movie. I want yeah. to punch her <laughs> in the throat. I mean, oh. she's she's just rebellious, and I don't know. I I didn't see her as a villain. Oh, <laughs> uh, one of the things I did not like was if you don't know anything about the troubles, you're not going to get it here because he doesn't explain anything. No. But uh, but then I think Alex is the one who pointed out. Well, it's seen through the eyes of a child who doesn't know anything about the troubles anyway. Right. Mm. So, but those performances are just so good. What a, one of the best ensembles of the year. Okay, number seven is No Time to Die. Uh, everything that you guys said, I did like the female perspective. I am a big fan of Kerry Joji Fukunaga. His work, he knows how to stage dynamic action scenes, but also the female presence here. And thanks to Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who contributed as a screenwriter to give that different female perspective. Cause we all know James Bond is a relic of the uh, very macho sixties. And yeah. uh, I just- Anna Armas is better than Leah Sado. Leah Sado is a lot better in French Dispatch. He's a relic of last night in yeah. Soho. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, everything you want in a Bond movie, it has. So I was. I wanted I was more good. Anna de Armas. I she was great and wasn't in the movie long enough. No. She was. She if, was. If, if No Time to Die was an hour shorter, I would have loved it. That's that's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I didn't like a lot of you know some movies. I feel it. I feel the three hours, and some I didn't. And I was just like, okay, Bond I'm not as sold on Rami Malek. I'm not as sold as on Rami Malek as other people are, but. Well, as I said at the time, Lynn, I thought Rami Malek was in the last one. That's how long this movie was delayed. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, it's the guy from the last movie. No, he's a brand new character. That's how long the movie was delayed. Well, yeah. they used to not be connected, but now they are. Like, you had to know who Christoph Waltz was. You and, had to know who, who Vespa Lynn was. But see, you that's the to... thing. The last movie was the worst of his bonds. And so having to know what happened in the last movie is a, is yeah. a minus for me. I the... never saw Spectre, so a lot of those bonds didn't right. hit home for me. But this is... that, yeah. I'm Go ahead, Jim. Yeah. No, this no is a problem. Spectre was, was bad, but Skyfall, one of the top. Yeah, yeah. Skyfall is no, great. No, my, my wife hasn't seen Spectre. Uh, it just got past her. And now it will be an issue. Now it's like, well, you have mm -hmm. to see this. Uh, no, no time to die. But first, you have to get through Spectre. You have to, you have to like slog through Spectre. Seven hours of of James Bond that we have but to. But Bond movies out. have always been long like that. And yep. for a swan song, this is yep. it's a great swan song for his Bond. I think Thunderball is about eight hours long. No, because you watched uh, Never Say Never Again right after it, because it's the same movie. <laughs> oh, boy. No, All right, Lynn, uh, go ahead. That, that's, yeah, yeah, never mind. Okay, number six is Being the Ricardos. I uh, I know Carl has issues with uh, uh, creative Timeline. license. Timeline. And, and I love the movie. I love the movie. It's just the fact that you don't need to cram everything into one week. And I know that's Sorkin's, that's Sorkin's gimmick, but once i love the movie as i was watching it but then once as jim said if you do your homework then you get pissed off because wait a minute these things that. 
No, no. But you're saying if you if you do your homework on a movie, sometimes you sometimes okay. you find great things about it. Other times it pisses you off. This time it pissed me off because oh, it wasn't the same week. It wasn't even in the same year. No. Well, they did happen though. So I give but it that. I, and I loved I loved it when I watched it. It's only afterwards when I learned the truth that damn it, Sorkin, you're better than that. Lying liars. Well, I uh, thought it was so smartly written. I loved the focus on women in showbiz in the 1950s. What a trailblazer Lucille Ball was. I loved the uh the relationship between uh, the portrayal of the tempestuous relationship between Lucy and Desi as professionals and their personal life. The acting in this Nicole Kidman shuts everybody up as, oh, I don't think she's going to be a good Lucy. Forget it. She's as both Lucy Ricardo and Lucille Ball just real excellent work uh Javier you mean, you mean Lucy Arnez and Lucille Ricardo because she was she was an Arnez oh yeah well and then uh, De, uh Javier Bardem is electric as Desi Arnez and uh, also shows J.K. Simmons is hilarious in the movie Oh yeah, my God! Yeah. But uh, but uh, Javier also shows what a savvy producer Desi was. I got to interview Lucy Arnaz when she was touring for Pippin in 2014, and she talked about how her dad was such a pioneer of the multi cameras. And she's and older he, than Ricky, so where was their kid? Yeah, not in the movie. <laughs> not I know. Well, movie. you know, sometimes sometimes they do that. Yeah. Like the Sound of Music kids. We've talked about this. The Sound of Music story isn't necessarily true. Now, J.K. Simmons is... There's nothing nothing (laughs) true about the Sound of Music. And therefore you hate it. No, I didn't know that until I was an adult. And so I... Well, this is why they're not called documentaries. They're called narratives. Correct. It got me. It hooked me in. J.K. Simmons is such a hoot as William Frawley, a.k.a. Fred Mertz. And the revelation here is Nina Arianda as Vivian Vance. She's great. She she won a Tony. She's a real breakthrough here. She won a Tony for Venus and Fur right out of NYU. So she's going places. But I loved the whole dynamic of the four. I loved how the editing, nobody's talking about this movie in editing. Yeah. How they go from what her mind thinks to how it is filmed and just those back and forths and everything. Now, so I play, I mean, that's in the screenplay that it's, well, no, it's, it's when they go from videotape, it's, they go from videotape to film and you can, I, I was impressed the way that they actually did recreate some of those actual iconic scenes from my love lucy yeah it felt like aaron sorkin had a much surer hand in his directing and being the ricardos than he it's did in better Carol than seven. chicago seven yeah. Yeah. yeah in my opinion but. i think so he's getting better but people yeah. Yeah. well a lot of people know, don't like the film and they say stick to writing well tv he knows tv that's in this wheelhouse obviously so uh i just i just liked it and number five is tick tick boom 
Nobody else has it on their list. I'm holding the musical mantle here. Uh, this is movie. about Game Changer, Jonathan Larson. I had two musicals in my top 10, but whatever. Oh yeah. Okay. You're right. <laughs> but we've talked about, we've talked about this before of uh, music, you know, musicals, but um, cause Carl and I go to theater. Okay. So uh, tick, tick, boom. I was not familiar with this work. I'm very familiar with rent seen it seven times, I believe. Uh, so I know all about Jonathan Larson. What Lin-Manuel Miranda does with this movie, who is another game changer, uh, it's so good. Andrew Garfield is revelatory as Jonathan Larson. People think this is about the creation of Rent. It's not. It's about the creation of his earlier work. Stephen Sondheim, the late great composer, another game changer, uh, is played by Bradley Whitford, and he uh, is becomes a mentor and encourages him and it's all about the dream for those people who don't necessarily uh, get musical theater this is about the dreamer in all of us there's a crucial stage he's turning 30 does he continue following his dream or does he chuck it all to be safe and secure and uh what they do with this is so good there's a scene in the diner on a Sunday brunch mm -hmm. that is one Broadway legend after another. There's the, the, uh, don't give it Brent. away. No, I'm, well, I'm not. If, if this was also it. nominated for our best scene in our group too. Right. People in rent current Broadway stars. Everybody's throughout the movie. It's so good. So, so good. Okay. And then number four is Coda. Like Carl said, uh, it resonates. It's not a groundbreaking story, uh, only because it shows from a deaf perspective. I it's talked a remake. About... It's a remake of a French film, and it's even better than the original. Yes. Troy Kotzer uh, is the dad, and Marley Matlin is the mom. And what I love about this movie is that they are not portrayed as saintly. They are parents with flaws. They, uh, yeah. uh, the, the brother is great. And also the girl, the breakout, she's one of my breakout stars, Amelia Jones. As the young girl who is very shy and has spent her whole life being the hearing person of her Child family. of deaf adult. Right. And she wants to pursue her own path. Her, she and, wants to be done with free translation and all that entails but how her move has a ripple effect with the family is very interesting uh my sister texted me last week thank you so much for recommending this i've just been crying and she downloaded both sides now and i talked about this on ktrs and McGraw Millhaven, who i didn't talk to but jennifer blum said that he just said you just start crying because this it's story well done. is yeah. it resonates emotionally in it. And so uh, that's why I had to put it on there because I've heard so many people tell me, thank you for recommending this. They said, this is one of the funniest, most poignant films I've seen in a very long time. So I had to include it. It's on Apple TV plus. Yes. Three is power of the dog for everything we've all talked about. 
now, have... now, now, Lynn cheats. She cheats. <laughs> She's a cheater. You have to pick one. Pick one. She well, has. I... She doesn't have a number two. She has one A and one B. Pick yeah, one. I have tied hmm. my. I have tied my top two because of the theme. I'm going with Shakespeare's having a pretty darn fine year. And the reason I did not break them up, but I would go with, I would go with West Side Story one and Tragedy of Macbeth two, and I'll tell you why. But the reason I wanted to group them is because they are by two of our best filmmakers, Steven Spielberg and Joel Cohen, and they stretch. They do bold work here. Spielberg never directed a musical. Everybody was like, why are you remaking West Side Story? Well, this is an absolutely brilliant reimagining of the 1957 musical and the 1961 film that won 11 Oscars that did need to be remade because we all know the issues of 1961, uh, an Anglo Maria, uh, a lot of makeup making the brown kids and just not being politically correct, as they say. Now, Tony Kushner took uh, the original script and only kept six lines. He made this grittier. He deepened the backstories. The choreography by Justin Peck, who's the artistic director of the New York City Ballet, is so vibrant. This young cast, Mike Faced as Riff, David Alvarez as Bernardo. You have to have a good Bernardo and Riff. And they are. Ariana DeBose as, as Anita. Rachel Zegler is one of the big breakout stars of the year as Maria. I will say Ansel Elgort as Tony is the weakest link, but that's because he's blander than all the other characters. Although El Ansel Elgort with his issues and everything, he can sing. He went to the fame high school. He used to beat out Timothy Chalamet for all the leads in the musicals. And uh, there we go. But Who's hosting Saturday Night Live next week? Ariana DeVos. Who is who? also on Schmigadoo. Yes. But who also, she was the breakout in Hamilton. She was the bullet. And then she was in the movie, The Prom, which is coming to the Fox January 25th. And the play, I will say the play is better than the movie, the Netflix movie. But we'll talk about that later. But uh, it, this is vibrant. This is alive. This is electric. This is everything you want. They do not cut the dance scenes into those quick cuts that I hate so much, like a music video. They're showing the whole thing, the street scene with America, that it's teeming with people in the movie, the original movie, you didn't see that many people. So I think Spielberg made really smart choices. I think it's a movie meant for the big screen. I do not know why people aren't going unless it's this pandemic and it's an older crowd who's not going to go to the movies to see it and wait for it to be on thing. But I was so skeptical going into this and what they did with it just blew me away. And then there's Rita Moreno who anchors this film yeah. so much so good so that and then tragedy and macbeth is a masterpiece 
Shakespeare wrote this in 1606. One of our fellow film critics was, uh, uh, was criticizing the plot with me. <laughs> and I said, it hasn't changed. It, the plot hasn't changed. That's what it is. It's all this drama. It's, it's uh, madness and power and greed and all, all this stuff. And then uh, as Joel Cohen did, he's like Alex said, he just stripped it down. It's the technical aspects are stunning. And just seeing it like it is, I just was blown away. And I'm, I, and I've seen about four of the Macbeth movies. The last one with Marianne Cotillard and Michael Fassbender that nobody really liked. I actually liked it. They did the battle scene. So everybody's different. But this mm -hmm. cast, Brendan Gleeson is the King Duncan. Corey Hawkins is Macduff. Yeah, he's so good. Oh, that scene with his wife and family. I mean, his wife and child. I've yeah. seen uh, it's it's just if people want to go stay away because it's Shakespeare. I agree with you, Carl. Put the subtitles on. Macbeth is one of the big three: Macbeth, Romeo and Juliet, and Hamlet, and they translate to modern life. So don't think this is stuffy English class because for a, it's interpreted for a contemporary audience and it and it resonates. Shakespeare survives culturally for a reason. And that's, mm -hmm. that's also on Apple TV plus coming out in a week. And I wanted to mention my, uh, this is a bad note to end on, but my most disappointing movie was the lost daughter. I hmm. watched it twice. Why? Uh, Why would you watch it again? <laughs> because I thought I missed something. You did. You missed not watching it again. <laughs> and 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 I was like, why? What am I missing here? Nothing. She's a terrible. She's a terrible mother. I, it's hard to watch. The other two mothers are awful mothers. I uh, well, the one's not a mom yet. I will say, but they're not fun people. I mean, they're not good people. And so this movie is so damn depressing. Jessie Buckley, one of my favorites, I noticed her in Beast in 2017 and told everybody to watch Beast. And you all should watch it. Okay. And mm -hmm. uh, she is terrific. But I don't know. I, I no, know she's Maggie not a good person either. No, I she isn't. She's, she's the original terrible mom in flashbacks. But I will say, uh, in in real life, motherhood's hard. Y'all know, y'all know this. Y'all have good. I mean, Alex got a great mom, and uh, Jim and Carl are married to good moms, and mom. so you know how hard motherhood is. And so this is something people don't talk about. Like, hey, this is hard. You might not take to it. She is, as she says in the script, I'm an unnatural mother. Okay, so we're on this Greece island. The book is takes place we in Italy. Talked, I don't know. Quit, quit talking about this movie. It, it's not. I'm. I, I'm looking forward to Maggie Gyllenhaal's next project. I, I right. that is what I'll say about it. I know she's gotten a ton of awards and a ton of buzz as this breakthrough thing, but really, it definitely felt like it was missing something after I watched it too. Like it didn't. And the I, ending. I missed, yeah, I, did, I didn't get the ending. 
<laughs> and the ambiguous of, of the ending is unearned. Max's wife is reading the book, and I want to know if there's any supernatural in the book at all. Because if there is, it is also unearned. Because there is, I people are like, well, maybe she, maybe it's a maybe it's X, and I'm like, there's been no mention of X in any of this movie, so therefore. It is everything you see on the screen is what is actually happening. So it the ambiguousness is unearned. When when they go, the studio goes to the effort to mail uh, the ship film critics a bottle of wine. It's like, here, drink this bottle of wine when you're watching this movie. You know, maybe that'll make it better. Uh, that that might be a signal. Yeah. Okay, so guys, before we, we before we end it today, what are you most looking forward to in 2022? Uh, the Northman looks pretty good. With the, is that Robert Eggers' new film? Okay. Oh, oh, okay, Robert Eggers, I love a good one. That that was my David answer. Eggers. That David. My... Oh. I was going to say that one as well, uh, just because uh, whatever Eggers does is it like transcends time. It's like he's he took his camera back to 500 years ago and just captures this like art house miserableism in an incredible way. So that, uh, you know, I probably would have said the Star Wars Rogue Squadron, but that flew away. So but, but uh, there, there is supposed to be a Star Wars movie coming out in December. We don't know which one or what, or if it's the Patty Jenkins movie, or if it's no. any, we don't know anything. The Patty Jenkins movie got delayed uh, maybe forever. We don't know. We don't know. Uh, I would say while we while he was sitting on the French Dispatch, we have another Wes Anderson movie yeah. in the can oh, already. Right. Yeah. We have another one already. He's just deciding on when he wants to release it. Uh, you could say, I guess, the Batman. You could say, Ugh. and uh, we've been surprised. Have you thought the last couple Batman movies, if you consider Joker a Batman movie, would you consider they were better than you thought they were going to be? That's okay. what, uh, uh, That was the movie I was going to mention as the one I, I most look forward to in early 2022 because it's coming out in March. Another Nicolas really... Cage movie is coming out that he think he's in mm. on the joke this time. Oh, that's right. I uh, will say there's a Hollywood a Reporter Roundtable available on YouTube that has Nick Cage and Peter Dinklage and other potential best actor nominees talking about acting. So I would I would recommend everybody go see that and uh, do that. But the reason I want to see Robert Pattinson as the Batman is post Twilight. He is continually surprised and impressed. And if you haven't seen Good Time, this winter is a good time to watch that great, because great you movie. will be like, what? Well, what? No Speaking of Robert Pattinson, no one has mentioned Kristen Stewart. No one even mentioned Spencer at all. It, it was on my you honorable did. mentions yeah. list. Oh, I, I love I love Spencer. I think it's incredible. It's I good. hate the first half. I love the oh. second half. The first half. The first, I watched it in two halves, and I was ready to not go back and watch the second half. It's just I I just hated the first half. Sorry. Um, I uh, I expected different, but. Uh, Kristen Stewart is Great. best female performance of, of the, the year with that. But I, it wasn't what I expected. And I'm a huge Diana file. 
and uh, I did like a lot of it. A lot of it. Oh, those looks that that royal family gives her. And, and then Carl did a deep dive and found out that she was not late like they portray. None of that happened. I, I realized when I was going through my top 10 that I skipped one of my movies. What did you skip? Go ahead. I skipped. I, I didn't mention Shiva Baby, but no, that is that is my number six film. Just a really, really funny, acerbic, coming-of-age, dark comedy. Very it's on HBO Max. Yeah, <laughs> but highly, highly recommended. Everyone watch it as well. Oh, I yeah. can't believe it's... I I can't believe I forgot that. Oh my gosh. Is it on, <laughs> I think it's on I think it's on Hulu. I well, think it it's been, been it's been out for ten months now, so it's see. probably on everything. I, I watched yeah. it on Netflix uh back when we were cramming movies a month ago or whatever. It's very funny. Yeah. Oh yeah. Polly Draper. Yeah, Polly Draper is really good as the mom. She is the mother in real life to Alex Wolf. Huh. All right, and, Jim. Oh, go ahead, Alex. Oh, it was kind of another, like Red Rocket kind of reminded me of a Safdie Brothers film and Shiva Baby also kind of reminded me of those kind of like really stressful films that are very claustrophobic, but you can't take your eyes off the screen kind of watches. So it's in my opinion. So it's kind of filmed like a horror film in a weird way, kind of exploring all these different dynamics she has with her family and her self-identity and everything. So I think it does a really good job at condensing a lot of themes and um, leading you to kind of piece things together yourself. And it's just really impressive for all it crams into like a really short run time. Okay. Well, we're right at two hours now. So, yeah. Jim, where can we find you on the socials? Or can we? Uh, you can. I'm on Zeke Film, which uh, is a website that I uh, that I edit and curate and run and uh, head up. We've got about a dozen uh, contributors, and we mostly review stuff these days. But we do some other things, too, every now and then. So that's ZekeFilm.org. And we have a Facebook group, Zeke Film Discussion Group. And everybody can join that and come and post and talk about movies as you see fit. And uh, that's about it. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Carl the Intern. I have a hockey game, so I will be uh, Instagramming and tweeting tonight as I blow the horn to make sure that it works. You can find Lynn and Alex together and apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Poplifestl.com. I'm on KTRS every Thursday night at, after the 10 p.m. news with Ray Hartman. I am in the Webster Kirkwood Times. I'm starting my seventh year at the Webster Kirkwood Times mm -hmm. doing uh, real world reviews with Kent Tinshirt. And our top 10 is in this week. And we overlap with maybe three or four of them. I think it's interesting. One thing I wanted to say about the year, and next week we'll wait for the 355 and a hero. But those were the releases this week. But I liked the movies that connected us, that had us a connection. Because if anything in this pandemic has taught us to prioritize the connections in our life and make them more important. And movies should move us. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And yeah, word, besides Pop Life STL, you can also find my reviews on Cultured Vultures and The Independent. 
Excellent. Bye, everybody. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Bye. Year. Yeah, Stay safe. You. See you guys at Scream Monday night. Yeah. Sorry, Carl. Sorry, no, Carl. Yeah, yeah. Oh. We, we, if we would have ended an hour ago, I would have seen it today. But we didn't. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. We'll talk to our guests, Alex McPherson and Jim Tudor, coming up next, and we'll do some tributes to some who have recently passed. Around minute 15, we'll do our most disappointed films of the year. Around minute 26, we'll do honorable mentions. Around minute 37, Jim will give us his top 10 for the year. Around minute 55, Alex will give his top 10 of the year. Around one hour and 17 minutes, I will give my top 10 of the year. Around one hour and 27 minutes, Lynn will give her top 10 of the year. And right at one hour and 54 minutes, we will look forward to 2022. Hey, hey one guys. Take. One yeah. take. All right. Yeah, that's good. Um, well, it was I technically to my, my top nine. <laughs> but... <laughs> that's anyway. fine. Under the wire, you got, yeah, it you, you got it. You got it in. Um, I, you know, I didn't have time to watch everything, obviously, and it depends oh, on the time of year. And uh, Bergman Island came out in mid October, oh, yeah. and I wanted to watch it. By the time I went to watch it, the link had expired. But AFC has sent us all their slate, and I noticed the other night that it didn't expire till February first. So I was like, well, I'm going to watch Bergman Island because I didn't really know what it was about. And I'm so glad I did. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that. I didn't get to it either, but I really wanted to see it. I was upset. I didn't, I, I, you know, it got it got nudged out of my schedule because um, I had to watch stuff like King Richard or whatever. But, uh, you know. That's the way it goes. Uh, but yeah, I'm Richard, but very much not... looking forward to this. Yeah, I I think um, because because we still we still have it till February first. I mm -hmm. highly recommend it because anybody who's a film fan mm -hmm. will appreciate it. Yeah. I still haven't North... gotten my link for uh, Bell yet. Really, I got mine because yeah. I asked him again. I, Bell I haven't gotten one. I don't think starts it comes out uh, next week. The fourteenth. I farmed that out. And I think the guy got the link. And then uh, what else is going to go on? But I, I liked, I'm sorry. I know this is not a popular opinion, but I liked a hero way better than driving a car. Hmm. Yeah. I guess I, I was too tired when I watched drive my car and that woman drove me crazy. And hmm. at the beginning, and I thought, Oh my God, this is three hours. Oh, <gasps> I know. I was on my computer, not on, you know, not able to watch it on. Well, if I would have gone plugged the computer, but you know what I'm saying. I what were you going to say, Alex? I watched, I watched uh, Drive My Car on the big TV and it didn't. I mean, you know, it, it was good. I It wasn't obviously not my top 10. Yeah. I think Drive My Car didn't win me over until the final act, but the final act is so strong that it made me really like everything leading up to it. But it's it's not. I think it's overrated, unfortunately. Yeah, agreed. But it's not bad by any nope. means. And not a bad. hero also didn't really click with me as much as I hoped it would. Either, I, I I um I really like his movies, A Separation and yeah. The Salesman. Yeah, I love those movies too. Yeah. All right, and, I have to get out of this room. Okay. Oh. Bye. Hey, have a Bye. good weekend, everybody. Stay safe. Okay. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Thank you. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you.